You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. My name is Jesse, and I'm one of the leaders here. And for those of you who don't know me, my son's waving to me. Um, One of my all-time favorite things to do is to do a bunch of research on a topic and then tell people about what I'm learning. And so writing a sermon is so much fun for me because there's a built-in audience of people who have to listen instead of (laughs) feign interest, which you can, but I'll pretend like you are really interested. But this intro part is the part that creates so much anxiety for me because I just wanna get down to the nitty gritty stuff that I'm learning but I have to be engaging and winsome, and I don't have all of Matt's really awesome dad jokes, and I don't even know what Randall's talking about half the time with all of his pop culture and bikes and stuff. So here's me. I'm going to bring a little bit of class to this Sunday morning, (laughs) and I'm going to read a poem by one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver. We shake with joy by Mary Oliver. We shake with joy, we shake with grief. What a time they have, these two housed as they are in the same body. Intro complete. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you do house joy and grief in the same body. And I just pray for each of us this morning that we can hear your words and whether we are in a house of joy or grief right now, that we rest fully in the knowledge that you are with us in both of those places. Jesus name. Amen. So for those of you who don't know, last fall, I went back to school to become a spiritual director. And I just finished up a class called Effective Listening. And this class absolutely blew my mind and changed the way that I see God. And the whole time I was taking it, I was thinking, how can I share what I'm learning with my community? And then Matt asked me if I could preach this week. And he said, I could preach on anything I wanted. So I was like, great, I've done all this research on listening. And now my audience gets to hear. So I'm really excited. Listening. When, take a minute and think about the attributes of God that you think of in your head. What are those attributes of God that you think of? How many of you immediately think of a listener when you think of God? I know I definitely did not. If somebody were to directly ask me, is God a good listener? I would say yes, of course, obviously, but it was not one of the first things that came to my head until this class. And when I think of God as a good listener, it completely transforms almost every interaction I read in the Bible. It completely blows me away to think about the fact that God, who's infinite, who's the creator, who's the knower and sustainer of all things, listens to me. He cares enough about me as a person to listen to what I am thinking and feeling. 
that he can read my mind and is aware of those thoughts and feelings and dreams, even if I am not aware of them myself. That he's invested enough in this relationship that he wants me to sit down with him and tell him those things that are on my heart. That's absolutely unbelievable to me. I'm going to be honest, I do not share my thoughts and feelings well. And it's hard for me sometimes to think that my husband even wants to hear what I have to say or that I'm worthy or interesting enough to share that with him. So to think that God wants to hear it is amazing. And it's one of the most humbling and awe-inspiring things I've ever heard. So this morning, I want to share with you my journey at looking through God through this lens and understanding the implications of that for ourselves, for our relationship with God, and for our relationship with our community. So before we get too deep into this, let's take a minute to define some terms. There's a difference between listening and hearing. Hearing is something that, unless you're deaf, you do without thinking. It's a bodily function. It's one of your five senses. It's something between your ears and your brain and all of that stuff that happens without our knowledge or intention. But listening is something different. Listening is a choice. Adam McHugh says in his book, A Listening Life, which I highly recommend, listening is a practice of focused attention. In listening, you center not only your ears, but also your mind, heart, and posture on something other than yourself. This means that listening is a skill, which is something we can hone and get better at, which is really great news. Take a minute and think about someone you would consider a good listener. <clears throat> what makes them that way? Usually body language is part of that. You feel like you have their full attention. They're looking at you, they're engaged, they're nodding their head at the appropriate times, they're making little sounds of acknowledgement. They reply in a way that's relevant to what you said. You do not feel listened to when you are telling your friend about how overwhelmed you are and how you're at the end of your rope and you can't even take anything else on and they respond by asking you if you can watch their kids. You do not feel listened to. You do feel listened to if you tell them all of that and then they bring you dinner. Because you know by the action that they follow up with that they are listening and that they are caring by, with what you say. God is a good listener, which means he hears what you say, but he also follows it up with action. Even if that action, like we read in Psalm 139, is to hem you in. That is action, to protect you, to be with you, to care for you. A good listener is someone you can say anything to without fear of being rejected or laughed at. You can complain, rejoice, share your fears or triumphs, and you know that they will share all of these feelings with you and act accordingly. I know that many of us have baggage around listening. We live in a culture where listening, especially for long periods of time, is becoming a lost art. I know I feel the most loved when I feel like I'm being listened to and seen for who I am. And one of the quickest ways to make me feel unloved is to interrupt me or to act like you're not listening. 
So I know I protect myself often from not feeling that rejection by not opening up. I keep myself from sharing my thoughts and feelings with the people I love because I'm afraid that I'll be rejected for my pettiness or my foolishness or if something I said was wrong, whatever. But David and the other psalmists show us through their psalms that we don't have to worry about that rejection. The Psalms are full of complaining and moaning and every other emotion under the sun. And they are followed up with God loving all of the parts of you through those feelings. David could say with full confidence, search me and know me, God, because he knew that God already did. If you ever need the words to hear how to pour out your heart to God and know that he was listening, turn to the Psalms. David speaks to God from the heart and knows that he listens. David is a great example of what it says in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We can have confidence that God really hears us. Question. When you read these psalms or when you talk to God, what are you picturing? Are you picturing with a man, a man with a robe and a beard sitting up on a throne looking down at you over his glasses? How would it change your prayers as if you thought of him as your most loved, trusting friend? How would our prayer lives change if we actually believed that God was a really good listener? That he cared about even the smallest details of your life? and that he wants to hear what you have to say. What if you pictured sharing a cup of coffee with him across from margin and thinking about him being there, listening to everything that you have to say and following it up with that caring action? Because that's the kind of listener God is. And I know I don't think of him that way often enough. When you think of that picture of him, sitting so casually across from you, how does that make you feel? I know when I just wrote those words, I started crying (laughs) because I don't think of him that way often enough. And to be so humbled and to think that he cares that much about me like that and wants that kind of relationship with me brought me to tears. But the reality is God does know us and he wants to know us better. Listen again to the first part of Psalm 139, thinking about God as a good listener. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. There's nothing that you can say to him that he doesn't already know, and he still loves you. How many people do you have like that in your life that you can sit across from and spill every deep, dark secret, every far-fetched dream and evil impulse, and have no fear of rejection or what their response will be? 
How many of you long to be loved that deeply and completely? This is who God wants to be for you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Exodus 3 and 4, where God shows up to Moses in a burning bush. I've always liked this passage because I can look back and see how dense Moses is being, and I feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> He's standing in front of this miraculously burning, but not burning bush, and hearing the voice of God, and he's arguing with God through that about his own insecurities. Every time I read this passage, I feel more secure in my own relationship, and I see how patient and gentle God is with Moses, and I have some hope for myself. But recently, I revisited this passage thinking about God as a good listener, and it made it even more impactful for me. First, a little nerdiness. In the Bible, the words seen, heard, saved, and known often mean similar things as listen. So listen to this passage and hear how deeply God is listening to his people. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Chapter 2 ends with God hearing the groaning of his people. And then he's here in this passage telling Moses that he's seen their affliction, heard their cry, know their suffering, and will deliver them. That's God hearing his people and then following it up with action, being a good listener. And then later on in this passage, he says it again. Behold, the cry of the people have come to me. I have seen the oppression and I will send you. He's telling Moses again, I've heard, and I'm acting upon what I've heard. This passage is a perfect example of why David can have the confidence to say, search me and know me, and know that God will hear that, but he'll respond with that protection, that hemming in on all sides that David talks about. God hears his people, and he has a plan. So he approaches Moses to tell him the plan, and Moses' instant response is doubt. God hears that doubt, and he responds with patience and assurance. He tells Moses in pretty great detail what the rescue plan is and what his part is in that. And more importantly, the God, the creator of the universe, says, I will be with you. And Moses' response to that is, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel out of Egypt? Again, Moses 
He says his fears and insecurities, and God listens to that. And God says, it's not about you, it's about me. I will be with you, I'll tell you what to say and what to do, just trust me. And by the way, all of this is coming out of a burning bush, which I always felt like should instill just a little bit of confidence in Moses. But still, Moses responds in verse 13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, God listens to Moses' questions, and not just the questions, but the heart behind what Moses is saying. And he responds with patience. He repeats his directions for what Moses is supposed to do. God says to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Moses' response to God's reassurance makes it seem like he doesn't listen to anything God is saying, and he just keeps talking as if he hasn't heard anything at all. So Moses answers that with, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to to you. So, at this point, God hears Moses' hearts and his words and determines that what Moses needs even more than hearing his voice and this burning bush in front of him is some more visual representations of who God is. So, he turns Moses' staff into a snake, he has him put his hand in his cloak and it comes out leprous and then he comes back clean. All of these things in front of Moses so that he can see that God is powerful. And God repeats in detail what his plan is. He gives, he hears Moses' heart, he hears all of his fears and insecurities, and he promises God that, he promises Moses that he is who he is. He even gives him his resume for why he should be trusted. And still, Moses only hears his own voice in his head telling him all the reasons he can't do it. Moses says to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God starts to get a little bit frustrated here and says, Who made mouths? Who made ears? Who made any of that? It's me. Don't worry about it. And Moses' response to this in verse 13 is, But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. All of that and Moses, this, this is the heart of what Moses is saying the whole time. I don't want to do this. And God does everything he can to tell Moses, you can do it, because I can do it, so I can equip you. And Moses, at this point, is like, nope, I don't want to do it. And this is what God finally gets angry about. But what is God's response to this? Even in his anger, what he does is equip Moses with his brother. 
And he says, okay, bring your brother along because I see that you need that extra support. He searched and he knew Moses so fully and loved him enough to be patient and listen and supported Moses in all the ways Moses thought he needed. How beautiful is the story when you see it through the lens of God as being a good listener. Isn't that how you want to be listened to? To have someone sit with you patiently and hear your heart as much as your words. To hear your insecurities and to meet them head on with confidence and reassurance. To remind you of who you are, how you were made, and that the creator of the world is on your side. Even though I can sit back and see how dense Moses is being, I have a lot of respect for him in this passage because of his honesty with God about his insecurities. In these chapters, Moses isn't just doubting his own abilities, he's very blatantly doubting God's. Do you have this kind of relationship with God? Do you have this type of conversation where you can bury your soul and lay out all your doubts and fears? Do you let your heart be searched and known in this way? Do you even think that God can or will listen to you when you talk to him this way? This story reminds me a little of an interaction I saw between my sister and her three-year-old son, Bash. Bash was sitting on my sister's lap and she had a necklace on and he said, mom, take off your necklace. And she said, no, thank you. And he said, mom, take off your necklace. And she said, no, thank you. I want to keep my necklace off, on. And he said, mom, take off your necklace. And she said, no, thank you. I like it where it is. He asked her this like five or six times and she patiently responded every time. No, thank you. I want to keep my necklace on. And finally, he yells at her, why aren't you listening to me? I want you to take your necklace off. And I heard that after listening to all my effective listening classes and thinking like, gosh, something about that being distilled to its simplest form made me realize how often I have that conversation with people where my daughter's looking at me because it's mostly her, where she's saying to me, why aren't you listening to me? And I'm thinking, I am listening to everything you're saying. I'm just not giving you the response that you want. And that's not the same thing. And then I read through this passage with Moses and I was like, oh, shoot, I'm bash. <laughs> How often is it that I'm saying, God, why aren't you listening to me when the reality is I'm just not getting the answer that I want to hear? Moses said to God, I don't want to do this. And what Moses wanted was for God to say, all right, Moses, you're right, I'm wrong. You shouldn't do this. You're not equipped. I hear you, you're not eloquent. You're not good enough, no one will believe you. Go on your merry way and I'll find someone else. But that is not the reality. God was saying, I hear you, but I'm not going to give you what you want because I have plans for you that are far beyond what you could ever imagine. The God of all your fathers, the creator picked you. Do you think that I'm just going to leave you out there to fail? 
I've got you. Listen to me and trust. So if me not hearing God is a result of me not hearing what I want to hear, how would my relationship with God change if I remembered that God is actually a perfect listener? And that if it's not an issue with me feeling heard, it's probably because of something I'm doing and not something that he, who is literally incapable of failing, is doing. So what is it that I am doing that's, or not doing that's making it so hard to hear God? It's good news to hear this story where we can see the evidence of God through miracles like burning bushes, hands being healed, sticks being turned to snakes, and literally hearing God's voice and still doubting. And know that through all that, God still loved Moses. He listened to Moses. He was patient with Moses. But it's even better to news to know that it doesn't have to be that way. We can have a relationship with God where we are listening. Moses gets better through the story of Exodus. He gets better at listening and hearing God. Moses, in this chapter 3 and 4, gets the security he needs to hear God's voice. And God's people are still freed despite Moses' insecurities. Listening is actually a skill that you can cultivate and practice. I think there are two main reasons that we don't hear God. One is what I learned with my nephew Bash. I am not hearing from God what I want to hear, and therefore I don't hear anything. Two, I am not slowing down enough to recognize God's voice when he is speaking to me. After doing my sermon on Sabbath a few months ago, I dove even deeper into the idea of attention and rest. I read a ton of books on paying attention and what the effect of that is on us as a people. There is a ton of research out there on anxiety and free time and come find me afterwards because I already told you I love talking about what I learned. And it's really fascinating. But the general takeaway is that we are designed to need unstructured quiet time so that our brains have space to process and think and play. We live in a world filled with noise and words and structure, and all of that takes up our brain space and wires habits into our brain that make any time that's not unstructured feel uncomfortable and hard, and so we avoid it. When we try praying, we get frustrated because God doesn't speak to us. But what I'm learning is forcing me to question that frustration. Is it that God isn't speaking to us, or that we don't know how to listen well enough to hear him. I challenge you to spend time this next week paying attention to how well you listen. I think you should start with paying attention to how well you listen to yourself. How much time do you spend in a day or even a week in quiet? Do you ever drive in the car without podcasts or music? or calling someone on the phone? Do you grab for your phone and social media or whatever every time you sit down or stand in line at the grocery store? Do you ever spend any time thinking about how you're feeling, what your body is doing? 
What can you do to practice your listening skills to yourself, to the people around you, and to God? I could go on for a really long time about how to be a better listener. I just took an eight-week course after all, but you can Google that. What I want you to take away from this morning is the deep, heartfelt knowledge that God is a good listener, that he is here holding you up and hemming you in and ready and waiting to listen to anything and everything you have to say even if it's doubting him and his abilities like Moses did. And when we listen to him, when we let him listen to us, we get better at listening to him. And even if you don't allow yourself the space to listen to your own heart and body, how can you ever expect to hear from anyone else, including God? How good of a listener do you think you are? What is your mind doing when you're sitting across from somebody? Are you thinking about all the things that you should be getting done that day? Are you silently wishing they'd just stop talking? Do you feel compassion or interest? How does your body feel? Antsy, relaxed? How do you feel when you're reading your Bible or praying? Do you have similar feelings? Does your mind wander? Do you feel guilt because your mind's wandering? Do you pray with the sure knowledge that you're being listened to and not just heard? That prayer David said in Psalm 139 is a really scary prayer. Search me and know me, discern my thoughts. It's really scary to be known like that. It's also scary to find out things about yourself like that. It's easier to pretend that we know ourselves and that everything is okay or to fill our head with noise so we don't have to think about hard things. But God promises and shows us throughout scripture that he already knows it all, that he discerns our thoughts before we think them, and then he lays his hands on us and hems us in. You are loved completely by the creator that made you wonderfully and knows you thoroughly, and he still wants to protect you and be in close proximity to you. Even though that prayer is really scary, it's a really good place to start if you're looking for a deeper relationship with God. If you feel like it's been a really long time since you've heard him or felt close to him, start with praying for him to search you and know you, and ask him to reveal yourself through him. Try having a regular time of quiet. About two years ago, I started driving in the car whenever I was alone, completely silently. Normally, I would listen to an audiobook because that was my time away from my family to listen to that, but I decided to use that time just me and my thoughts. And I don't even spend the whole time praying every time. And I'd, that made me feel guilty at first because I felt like I should be praying that whole time, but that was actually part of how God speaks to me is through my thoughts and through that quiet time. There's no agenda when I do that. And it's amazing what God reveals to me in that time. So ask yourself, when do you feel or when have you felt the most close to God? What are those activities that you have done that bring you the most peace? where you can hear him, 
if it's in nature, reading is a way that I often hear God's voice, riding bikes, if that's a thing you do. God listens to us so well because he loves us, but also so that we can listen to others well. He first listened to us so that we can listen. Listening, by its very nature, is a communal experience. God gave us ears to hear so that we could enter into this mission with him and be his hands and his feet, but also his ears. Imagine if we were a Sabbath people full of peace without the harried agenda of the world so that when people came to voice their fears or insecurities or joys or whatever to us, we had the space to actually listen the way he listens to us with our whole heart. Can you imagine the impact this would have in our community? Adam McHugh in the book, The Listening Life, shows us how much good news being a good listener can be. He said, Jesus abdicated his heavenly throne, emptying himself of power and privilege in order to become a servant. That is why listening is so central to the gospel. It is the indispensable attribute of a servant. Emptying yourself, assuming the role of a servant and submitting to others is not only the description of Christ's incarnation, it is also the description of a true listener. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to be heard, but to hear. He shrank so that others might have room, and he bent down his ears so that the unheard voices would be honored. In doing so, he utterly redefined what kingship is. Here is a king who serves his subjects, washes their feet, and listens for their needs beyond even what they know they need. Here is a king who does not ask his people to die for him, but who instead dies for them. The servant heart that led him to listen to others is the same heart that led him to the cross. How would it change you and the person sitting across from you if this is the type of listener you were? if you emptied yourself and served those around you simply by listening to them? What if the next time someone vented their frustration, hurts, fears, joys, you just listened to the words that were coming out of their mouth and the heart behind those words? And instead of offering any advice, you just listened. What if every time you entered into a conversation, you prayed first to ask God to help you be a good listener? How would that change your relationships? Can you imagine Jesus restoring Albany just through Hub City being a bunch of really good listeners? When we focus on being good listeners, we are reflecting the true nature of God. We are only good listeners because God was first a good listener. I want you to take that deep into your soul. He wants to be that friend that you confide everything into and that you can reveal anything about yourself because he made you and he already knows it. He formed your inmost parts and he knows you better than you know yourself. So really, there's nothing to fear in confiding in him. And this type of relationship with God will only spill out into your relationships with other people.
It will make you a better disciple making disciples. We're going to respond to this good news today. But before Austin comes up, I'm going to lead us into two minutes of silence. I want you to take these two minutes to practice being still and listening. You may not hear God in these two minutes, and I want you to hear that does not make you a failure. It may be two minutes of torture and discomfort, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's okay for you to spend these two minutes just listening to yourself. Pay attention to what your body is feeling. If it's antsy or sad, peaceful or happy, when I first started doing this, it felt like the second I set my timer, it, like somebody had released a million ping pong balls into my brain and I couldn't grab any one of them and it was really uncomfortable. But I stuck with it and not every time, but that practice has become a peaceful practice for me. There aren't nearly as many ping pong balls anymore. So listen to the thoughts in your head. See what comes up. And I would really encourage you to do that throughout the week and see how that time changes for you with practice. I'm going to start us off with my prayer of silence before I say it. As I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, and to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. We're gonna continue our response now through the usual avenues. Austin is going to come up so we can sing and worship together. So God hears our voices raised in adoration of him who is worthy to be praised. 
You can give because Jesus first gave to us. And finally, I invite you to the table where we remember the King who poured out everything. His blood and servitude, who listened to our need for a savior and gave himself to fulfill that need. I invite you to stand with me now and pray our ending prayer together. This is the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.